0: Church, welcome to week two of our sermon series, Summer Mixtape. I'm on vacation with my family right now, and so today you will hear a message from my friend Dwayne Coleman. Dwayne and I go way back to 2001, and it has been great having a front row seat to see how God has used him in so many ways over the years. Dwayne will speak of me as a mentor in his life, but really, I just like hanging out. With him, okay, he's a great guy. He's a great communicator. His love for Jesus is contagious. And he's just fun to be around. Now, Dwayne has been a guest preacher here at Prodigal Church before, but it was only online and it was way back in 2020. So this is Dwayne's first time in person. So please give a ginormous Prodigal Church welcome to my friend, Pastor Dwayne Coleman. DEMAUNGO Prodigal, what's up? My name is Dwayne Coleman, and I'm glad to be here with you guys this morning. I'm a local uh Clovis native. Uh, graduated from V. Clovis High, and uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a local pastor. I pastor at Clovis Hills Old Town campus on 5th and Sunnyside. Married to the wonderful Melissa Coleman, uh, who I'm proud to say runs our after school program at our Tulare Street campus. And uh, I'm a friend, uh, a brother, a mentee to your pastor, John Richardson. He's actually been a blessing in my life since 2001 when I was a kid. Uh, and this is a true story. Uh, John was really vital in me understanding the goodness of God uh, at, at a time where I was relationally poor, didn't have a lot of friends. John was uh, the coolest leader at a very large church in town and uh, he, he made it a point to really connect with me. actually gave me my first nickname, uh, which was D-Mouse, uh, but nobody calls me that anymore. They call me D-Rock, so, but I still appreciate that first nickname. Hey, this morning, I want to share with you out, out of a passage, Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Bereans. There's a famous line where the Apostle Paul says, uh, or it's quote, quoted by Luke, uh, referring to the Apostle Paul, that he says that the Bereans were of more noble character. And so we just want to take a look at that and see what we can learn from them. And uh, r- r- really, really where I want to go today, I'll just kind of give you, give you the direction, the vision of this message is really wanna focus on uh, what, what it means uh, to be a true seeker. Uh, many of us, especially for those who've been in the church for any set amount of time, we consider ourselves, we're, we're true seekers. Every Sunday morning, we're, we're in the Sunday gathering, listening to the message because we, we wanna know does the scriptures have to say, what is the truth. We do Bible study, we read our Bible plans uh, because we wanna know what is the truth, what is God's perspective in any matter and all matters. Uh, however, if we could be honest, many of us, uh, we, we don't like the truth. We, we don't always have a pure agenda for the truth. Many times we have an agenda to have the truth kind of morph into uh, our current lifestyle, in, into our current way of thinking. So if you would uh, get ready, we're going to jump into to Acts chapter 17, verse 10. But first, because we're going in the middle of this chapter and it's towards the end of the the, the book. Let me just give you a little bit of background of what's happening here. And it's going to give more weight when we get to this passage. So early in Acts chapter 17, we have Paul, we have Silas, and we have Timothy, and they're traveling to Thessalonica. And what's Paul's uh, current strategy, he goes to the synagogue first, right? And at the synagogue, Paul is explaining, he's proving, and he's reasoning that Jesus is the Messiah that had to suffer and then rise again. Paul in his wisdom passes over uh, some of the smaller cities to get to, to larger major cities because uh, his his whole objective is if I can get to these uh, these really large uh, territories then it's just going to be a, a, such a foundation for the gospel to really spread far and wide and so here in Thessalonica we learn uh, that there were some devout God fearing Greeks and they they responded. To, to Paul's message, and they became believers. They placed their faith in Jesus, a, a good number of them. Now, that's important because it ends up triggering the jealousy of the unbelieving Jews. And so they riled up some troublemakers and literally caused a riot. <clears throat> but there was even more to that. See, this riot, what it, what it did is is it got the, the, the officials involved because what they did is they said that uh, these, these believers... They, they, they are compromising, they're disturbing the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Now, that was a politically significant uh, crime. And and how they got there is they, they put a politically inflammatory twist on the gospel. See, see, we know that Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings. Well, they kind of took that and twisted it to mean that they were plotting against Caesar, that they they were forming some kind of insurrection and that they were defying the decrees of Caesar. Well, Now, this could have major issues for the believers uh, because if the verdict is that they're guilty, they could be executed. And so the scripture tells us in the first nine verses that a recent believer named Jason, who who, who just converted uh, to the faith, he opened up his home for fellowship, is now being dragged with some of the other believers before the officials by force and is now hearing these charges that he is defying caesar and that he is liable to be executed just imagine the weight of that for a moment like i've been a christian for about a week and now i'm on trial for for insurrection it's just incredible clearly false uh but what what could jason do at this point now gratefully the officials saw through this facade, saw that there wasn't really uh, any, any traction, any truth to these claims. And so they were released on bail. But still, everything is just heightened the seriousness of the cost of sharing and receiving the gospel message. So here's where we pick up now in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15. And it reads like this. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. Then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Now, this is interesting to me because Luke writes that the Bereans were of more noble character because of their eagerness to examine the scriptures to see if what Paul had said about Jesus being the Messiah was true. Now, the, in the Greek, this word uh, of nobility, what it literally means is that you're, you're of noble birth, that you come from uh, an illustrious ancestry. Now, that's not how Luke means it. He doesn't mean that they are literally coming from uh, nobility and birth, but he's using it as a phrase to, to, to really highlight the uniqueness of and and the special quality that was found in these Bereans. And it's due to the fact of how they responded to this challenging message of the gospel. He he denotes them of having noble character because of how open-minded they were and because of their courageous eyes. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. You see, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, throughout the week, daily, they diligently examined the scriptures. And what are they examining? Again, Paul here is preaching a Jesus who had to suffer, which was not the popular narrative at that time. The picture many Jews had of the Messiah to come was a warrior king, something like David. This ability to see the truth Paul preached in the scriptures showed that they were willing to change their mind. Think about that for a minute they were willing to change their mind. They had an expectation for the Messiah to come in something of the form of David, but after hearing and examining the truth, they were willing to change their mind. In truth-seeking, you, 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 it requires that I'm willing to change my mind when I see the truth. Now, let me just add this here. Being open-minded is going to be extremely difficult if you think you know everything. Now, for most of us, we, we just know better than to say that we know everything. The person who says they know everything everyone knows is an idiot, right? Like, you can't know everything. No one knows everything. Even if you're, you're not a believer, you're not of the Christian faith, every human just knows you can't walk around saying you know everything. So none of us would say, guilty, I know everything. But what we, we, we still tend to do is we think we know more than we actually do. You see, part of true seeking requires that... It, I'll just give you this test. If you're a true seeker part of that evidence will be you change your mind. See, if you, if you never change your mind, one, you're clearly not seeking truth, or you're saying you've already discovered all truth, so there's no reason for me to change my mind. But a true seeker is humble enough to say, I need to change my mind on this. What I had thought, what I had uh, the perspective of, the, the vantage point of, now with this new information, now with this scriptural revelation, I am changing my mind because in order to have the truth, I need to go to it. Truth doesn't form to me. That's what made these Bereans of noble character. They did not resist or reject the truth. They didn't try to redefine the truth. When they acknowledged this is true, they received it. Now, let me just give you a little bit more information so you can really understand how big of a deal it is for these Bereans to change their mind on Jesus being the Messiah. At this point, these Jews would have seen Jesus as a criminal, as an activist who is executed by the Romans. So it's not surprising that as Paul is preaching that he lasts only three weeks in the local synagogue before being ejected or rejected as a heretic and as a fool. I mean, just think about that for a moment. We have a lot of hindsight here, and we see Jesus uh, as the Savior of the world, which he is. But, But think about how you may feel about activists, especially activists that you don't agree with right and, and so so take whoever that may be think of an activist who you don't agree with and then think about someone coming into your church community and your gathering and saying yeah this guy is the messiah get the out of here right that's the way that these jews would have felt we've already locked this guy in as a criminal and as an activist because that's what we have been told And we have this imagery of Jesus, or sorry, not of Jesus, but of the Messiah who is to come, that's going to be a warrior, who's going to be a king in the vein of David. And we have scriptures to back it up. See, the issue with the Jews at the time wasn't that they weren't telling the truth with passages that they had. There was just other passages that they had omitted. They didn't have a full comprehensive view of all the prophecies that were for the Messiah to come. And so when Paul preaches, he's giving, he's not giving new information. It just feels new because it hadn't been part of the narrative around the Messiah, this suffering Messiah. Ew, nobody wants that. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. You know, I remember one of the moments in my life personally where I I really had to engage, am I a truth seeker? I was in Bible college in Sacramento and uh, it it was a diverse uh, class that we had. And I remember sitting in class one day and our professor tells our class uh, that interracial marriage was a sin. And he used some Bible passages to, to really back up why interracial marriage was a sin. And myself and a couple of other buddies in the class were currently in interracial uh, dating relationships, and so you can imagine the the the, the shock and all that we had. As he's looking at us, we're looking at him, and he's basically telling us in the class we are in sin because we're we're dating uh, outside of our race. So after class, a few of us get together, and you know they're like, "Hey, we got to go to the dean. We we got to we got to you know tell on him. This guy's." preaching something and teaching something that's not true. It's not wrong to be in an interracial marriage. And now I'll just be honest with you. I'm a pastor's kid. I've been in the church for years, but I've never, i never engaged uh, th- this thought before that, that it was a sin and he had brought scriptures to back his point. I didn't have any scriptures to really challenge. I was, I was really caught off guard. And I just remember they were all, they wanted to go to the dean. They wanted me to go. And I was like, I, I'm not ready to go to the dean. I'm not ready to, to, to get this man fired because uh, I just, I don't know. is But is he right or is he wrong? We're mad because of what we want, but I want to know what is the truth. I, I need to know. And so I ended up calling a, a pastor and talking it through. And gratefully, he walked me through the scriptures to show me the error of where this man had a misinterpreted scripture. So I'm glad to say if you're in an interracial marriage, as I am, my wife is, is, is Mexican, yeah, you're good, you're okay. But, but the point was, was I just gonna side with the crowd because we had an agreeable agenda and get this man out of here? Or was I gonna take the time to actually look and see what could be devastating to me? What if the Bible had actually said that? What would I have done with that information? Now again, I'm grateful that's not what the scripture had had to say, but that's part of the challenge of being a believer is when I go into the scriptures, am I, wi- am I really willing to look at what God has to say is best for humanity? Or do I want to bring my uh, presupposed ideas about life and about and about and, and, and about humanity to God and to the scriptures? Another part of being open-minded means. We have to be willing to, being willing to learn sometimes means you have to be willing to unlearn something. To learn something new means sometimes I have to unlearn something. To add in what the scriptures are saying, I may have to push out something that was not truthful and I have to leave that behind in my life. And that can be difficult, especially when when something has tenure in your life. I've learned as a PK being in church, when things become tenured, when, when things have longevity, So by default, they they have to be true. Well, that's not, that doesn't make it true just because it's been believed for a long time. (laughs) A a lie doesn't become truth as it ages. (laughs) Like lies don't age into reality, into truth. God's truth is true from the beginning all the way to the end. Whether we agree with it or not, truth will always be truth. And so sometimes when we're engaging the truth, When they're seeking the truth, it may require us to say, I have to unlearn something. I have to forfeit something now that I've discovered, even though I may have believed it for years of my life. I may have practiced something for years of my life. I have to put that down because now I've discovered the truth. So the first point I want to make with these Bereans is in order to see the truth, we have to engage it with an open mind. And that means I have to be willing to change my mind. If I'm not willing to change my mind, then I'm not really trying to find the truth. I'm just trying to find ways to morph truth into my current reality. Secondly, these Bereans show us that it takes courageous eyes to be able to apprehend the truth. Sometimes it's tough to to look squarely in the eye of what is true, because it can come with a cost. Some of you may have heard the, the saying, Facts don't care about your feelings. Okay, but you know what else is true? That's true. But what else is true is our feelings always care about the facts. As humans, that's just always going to be reality. It, it may be true, but I need to deal with the fact that, that my feelings actually care about the facts. I, I'm going to have an emotional uh, feel to what the truth is. And how do I deal with that emotion? I'll give you just another example I remember early on I started doing a Bible study at a local barbershop here in Fresno and uh, there were some high rollers that rolled into this this barbershop where I would do Bible study. Uh, guys like Derek Carr when, when, when he was in town and uh, some other athletes and it was a great privilege when I got to, to take over the reins and lead this Bible study and I think it was like my second or third time leading the Bible study at this barbershop. One of the the guys came to me afterwards and he said, hey, I just want to let you know, in case you do this this, this lesson again, uh, that you made an error, you made a mistake. When you talked about Enoch, I think you got Enoch confused with another Enoch in the Bible. And I was like, okay. And I went back home and I was like, dude, there's not two Enochs in the Bible. That guy's tripping. But it, it just kept lingering in my mind. And so I was like, should I look? Should I double check? I'm pretty sure there's not another Enoch in the Bible. So I, I go and and sure enough there's 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 a little line about another Enoch in the Bible and I'm pissed because the way that I, I built my message I built it on I exchanged the two Enoch stories and so it doesn't work. It's it's the point is true but the history was wrong. And so I remember as I'm looking at it my heart got exposed in it because Immediately, the temptation came in, is there a way I can still make this work? Is there a way I can I can twist it just for my sake? Because I knew if I, if I really looked at this with courageous eyes and accepted the truth, that meant I needed to go affirm that before those guys the following week. I was terrified because if I accept that truth and I accept it in front of them, maybe I don't get to leave the Bible study anymore. Maybe I'm going to lose... Relationships that I could have had with some of the the who's who's of the city, but I want to be I want to be a man of integrity. So I went back the next week and I explained to the guys, Hey, look, uh, I, I got it wrong. I made a mistake last week. Uh, there's actually two Enoch's in the Bible. One not very popular, uh, but but I made this error and I cleaned it up. And and I'm grateful that they had uh, they had a lot of grace for me and I was able to continue on leading that Bible study. But the point is, it takes courageous eyes to look at the truth and not flinch, to look at the truth and not work, to manipulate it, to, to, to morph it, to redefine it in your image. I love quoting uh, philosophers and some of the greats of our time. And so I thought I'd leave you this quote uh, from the legendary heroic Batman. And uh, you can laugh, that's fine. It's, it's it, he says this, there's a difference between you and me we both looked into the abyss, but when it looked back at us, you blinked. And basically what Batman is saying there is, it's, it's, it's from, I'm a, big, I'm a big nerd, I know. But uh, there, there's a scene where Batman is dealing with uh, his counterpart from a parallel universe. And the point is, he's saying the difference between you and me, although we're supposed to be the same, is when we looked into the reality of what the essence of truth was, when it looked back, you blinked. But Batman had the courageous eyes to stare it down. And these Bereans had the courage. Again, think about what happened with Jason. Think about what just happened in recent events within that given month. They understood the way if we truly accept this truth about Jesus as the Messiah, it's gonna have daily residual impacts in our lives. This can impact our social community. It can impact our finances. It can impact our family. It can even impact the welfare of our lives. And still, because they were true seekers, they said we accept the cost of this truth. They had the courage to look at truth squarely in the eyes. Many of us believe scripture is true. But how do we deal with the teachings from scripture that disturb us emotionally? How do we deal with the scriptures when it brings some kind of cost to our everyday life? Are we going to reject it? Are we going to redefine it? Are we going to have the strength of character to receive it? My prayer for you, prodigal, this morning, as it is for myself, is that God would continue to sustain our strength to be able to look into the truth of the scriptures and receive it for what it is, and not to be tempted to morph it into anything other than what God has spoken. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I, I first and foremost thank you for the opportunity to share with Prodigal this morning. God, I thank you for the legacy of the Bereans and their exemplary uh, response in receiving challenging truth. And Lord, it's just human nature that, that we have ideas of what we want you to be like. We, we, we have concepts that we want to be true. God, and there's things that disturb us emotionally, but Father, I pray that you would bless us, your people, your church, your family, with the strength of character, that even though scripture can be challenging, that we would trust you and that we would learn how to receive it well, that we would do our due diligence, that we would eagerly examine and and be thorough to find the truth, not our agenda and how to reinforce it, but to see what is God's truth and that we would allow your truth to form us and to shape us. Father, for you have in mind nothing but the best for your people. And sometimes the truth is challenging. Oftentimes the truth may be painful, but it wields a rich harvest for all who would receive it. Bless your church this morning. We love you we lift up your name, Jesus, amen. (laughs) Oh <laughs>